1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it, promise, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away, and if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but when I, but then I will know fully, just as, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Thank you. 
pray that, and we thank you that that's all true. That A, your love is deeper than we could ever fathom. In fact, you know, when we find ourselves in heaven face to face with you for eternity, we're going to have an eternity to just bask in the glory and the reality of your love. Even though, I don't know, even then, if we can fathom how great it is. Because you're this, that, you're just that big. I mean, uh, eternal. Never beginning, never ending. Everywhere at once, all-powerful, all-knowing. It's mind-blowing. But we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that we can depend of all the things in life on the one thing that as your children... Your love will never fail. Your love will never run out. Your, no, your, run, your love will never grow cold. You may not be happy with us all the time, but you will never leave us nor forsake us. We can depend upon that. That, that is one thing that remains. When everything else is maybe gone and, and in question, we can remember that. And so, Lord, as, as we're here in a, in a season where... I think basically the world is celebrating love. Uh, we really need to look to you. Because everybody's got an idea of what love is. But since the scripture tells us you are love, that we want to see what you say. But because you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son to come and die for us. You have saved us. You provide for us. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. And we'll see part of that this morning. So anyway, Lord, we're here. And truly, the, the theme is we want to come and worship you. We want to recognize as we think about love, we want to think about God. We don't want to think about each other, uh, every, you know, each other predominantly. Obviously, we do want to think about each other, but not predominantly. We want to think about you. And so now is the time truly to worship. And that's what we want to do this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?
It's always the time to worship, but it's Amen. the time to worship, and that's why we're here. And of course, worship means acknowledging the worth of something and giving it the proper praise and adoration, and fall, literally to fall down before. And so that's what we want to do. And, and as we look at your work, as we think, see this great theme of love, I mean, we come and we worship you because this is all your idea. And uh, we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see. Well, on Wednesday of this week is uh, February the 14th. Do you know what February the 14th is? Come on, husbands. What? Valentine's Day or anybody. Valentine's Day. We will be celebrating Valentine's Day. And every year we come to Valentine's Day... And I tend to ask the same questions because I guess I'm slow to realize the answers. But Valentine's Day, the first thing I want to know is where in the world did this come from and why are we celebrating, what are we celebrating on the 14th? Well, there's all kinds of different ideas and legends, but, but the, I think the main one is Saint Valent Valentine's Day, also called Saint Valentine's Day or the Feast of Saint Valentine's is celebrated annually on February the 14th. It originated as a Christian feast day honoring martyr, a martyr named Valentine. So it makes sense. And through later folk traditions, it has also become a significant cultural, religious, and commercial celebration of romance and love in many regions of the world. There are a number of martyrdom stories associated with various St. Valentines connected to February 14th, including an account of the imprisonment of St. Valentine of Rome for ministering to Christians persecuted under the Roman Emperor in the third century. So that's the 200s. According to an early tradition, St. Valentine restored sight to the blind daughter of his jailer. Numerous later additions to the legend have better related it to the theme of love and tradition maintains that St. Valentine performed weddings for Christian soldiers who were forbidden to marry by the Roman Emperor. An 18th century embellishment of the legend claims he wrote the jailer's daughter a letter signed, Your Valentine, because that was his name, Your Valentine as a farewell before his execution. So I, wherever it started, it's been around for as long as I remember, right? And probably as long as you remember. And it's a day where we celebrate love. For example, typically on Valentine's Day, there will be 250 million, so just remember these numbers, 250 
million stems of flowers sold at Valentine's Day globally. My favorite, though, is there will be 58 pounds of chocolate given. $2.2 billion of uh, a, a Valentine's candy will be bought for Valentine's Day. And we're going to, and we did the same thing. So I bought a little under a pound. So there will be now 57 million pounds. Well, no, that's not even 57, 900 well, however the number is. So these, these, these will be in the back, these little Hershey Kisses, so help yourself. Happy Valentine's Day. I just went, I'm talking about chocolate, I just thought I had to do that. There, are, there will be some uh, 145 million Valentine's Day cards sent or given. And there's been supposedly over 100 million love songs recorded. So that doesn't count the ones that are not recorded, but 100 million love songs recorded. So you see that certainly we know how to celebrate Valentine's Day. We give a lot of flowers, we eat a lot of chocolate, we send a lot of cards, we sing a lot of songs. And it's all to celebrate love. Love is defined by Webster as a strong affection for another arising out of a kinship or personal ties, or it's an affection based on admiration or common interests, or it's attraction based on sexual desire. So you, you understand, yeah, that, that is love. That is love. But this morning we want to go to the very beginning, and so take your Bibles and go with me to 1 John chapter 4. And, and we're going to kind of be, as usual, all over the place, but we're going to start in 1 John 4. Because since Valentine's Day, I think, is important, love is important. We all love to be loved, and we should love to love. And uh, it, it's, it's how God made us. You know, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that the one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. God is what love is. It's God. He doesn't necessarily define it. He is it. God is love. So you just think about that as a, as a fundamental precept. God is love. And then, and you don't have to look this one up, but you go to Genesis 1.26 and you realize that in the beginning, after God created the heavens and the earth, he made man in his image. So since God is love and has the capacity and willingly does love, so we were made in that image. So guess what? Love is part of our lives as well. In fact, in Matthew 22, 37 and 39, remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Number two, Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two hang the whole law and prophets. So if you forget all of the different instructions in the Bible, which it's a big book, that you just remember, God wants me to love him with all my heart, soul, and mind, and my neighbor as myself, because he is love. I've been created in his image. And then we realize, well, how in the world do I do that? And that's a key question. And it's an important question. 
Because we, and we know, well, okay, dummy, I, I got it. We just follow the Bible. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because this is where God tells us how to love. And you remember that when we were in James chapter 1, seems like now years ago, but wasn't that. And we'll be going back, I guess, good Lord willing, next week. Remember that in James chapter 1, after he's talking about uh, how we are to approach the Bible. You know, I, I love this. Verse 21 of chapter 1, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Because you can read all about this, and love is from Genesis to Revelation. You can read all the instructions of God. You can read all the all the good things that God has uh, ha has done. And yet, if you just read that, and it just goes in one ear and out the other, and doesn't even pause in between, then you're deluding yourself. However, verse 25, but the one who looks intently at the law of liberty... So you read your Bible, and you don't just read it so you can do something else. You say, I'm gonna, I need to do my devotions today. I'm reading through the Bible. I'm doing whatever it is. I, I just know as a Christian or as one who professes to love God and want to serve God, I need to read the Word. So, you know, I would rather go watch the ball game. I'd rather go wash the car. I'd rather do a whole number of things. But, you know, I need to do this first. So here it goes. Da -da 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 -da. Great, now I'm off. No. No, it means you look intently. Find a quiet place. Turn off your phone or at least put it aside. And you say, Lord, I, I want to commune with you, so speak to me. And then you open this book, wherever you're reading, in hopefully some systematic way. That way you read the whole thing. Otherwise, we get stuck in one thing we like. And you read, and, and what I do is I read, and, and you know, when I read something, I'll pause. It's like a two-way conversation. And it, it's just kind of what I do. I don't know when I started it, but I, I kind of say, okay, Lord, this is what you say. Yeah, that is great. That's awesome. Now help me do that. Or, or I'll be reading along, and it'll be something, and I'll say, uh-oh, uh-oh, you know, I'm not doing that. Lord, forgive me. Help me do that. And, and so that, and you read intently, and then you have, and then you read, and then you have questions, and so you look up your questions. You say, what does that mean? So you go to a commentary, you go to a good study Bible, you go online, you go somewhere, and you find a good answer, and you go, oh, okay, now I, so you're digging into this, because when the Bible speaks, God is speaking. And we want to understand, we don't want it to be a glancing thing. Because all of us husbands know that it, it, it doesn't do us much good. In fact, it probably does us more, more harm. That when we're at dinner, and this has happened to me. Oh, I hate to admit this, but it's happened. We go to eat somewhere, and, and Charlene is sitting there, and we're sitting on the other side. And unfortunately, on that wall, there are TV screens. <laughs> and there's a football game, a, basket, a baseball game, or whatever. So she's just looking at me. And I'm looking, you know, up and down, up and down. And, and, and you know, you're watching, you're watching this game, and she's talking away, and you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, that's nice. And, uh, and that doesn't work, does it? No. 
I mean, it doesn't do much for your relation. And even if it's just a friend, I mean, are you paying attention? Why do I bother? And think how God feels when we approach his word that way. And so the point is, we look intently at the law of liberty and not uh, having become a forgetful uh, hearer, but an effectual doer. We say, okay, you, this is what you say. This is what is. Now, God, help me do this, and we take a step. We take a step by faith, and we begin to do that with his help. Then the Bible says, when you do that, this man, the man who intently looks at the law of liberty, the man who abides by it, who puts it into practice, this man shall be blessed, literally happy in whatever he does. So I realize, okay, when we come to love, God's the standard of love. He's, we're going to see how to love. And, and what I need to do is put that into practice. I mean, it really is not that hard of a concept, is it? Except we are all innately selfish, self-centered, so it's hard. It's hard to do. So this morning what I want to do is think about love from God's perspective because God is love. So all, what we're really doing is we're going to celebrate God's love and worship him for his love. But since he is love, he's created us in his image. He expects us to love. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves and love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we want to do that by watching him as the example and then endeavoring to follow his example. So that's the goal for this morning. We want to celebrate, understand God's great love for us, and then see how we can apply that in our relationships with one another. And that really is the key word for me to sum up love, is relationship. It's relationship. You know, there's a lot of things you can love, but you don't really have a relationship with because you're either far away or they don't know you from Adam and you don't know them either. But love is a relationship. Love is a sharing. Love is a coming together. And so the key word for love is relationship. And under that key word, there are three key words. So I guess you could say there's four key words or a key word and three explanations. All right? totally confused there will there will be a test at the end what's the key word for love it's an r word thank you you got it relationship now when you think about relationship there are three key words and i'll give them to you so we don't get lost affection volition and action okay affection volition and action the first two affection and volition go in that order for us all right uh, affection uh, uh, means to, to, to feel a, 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 a light, well, Webster defines affection as a feeling of liking and caring for someone or something, a tender attachment. You could, you could add also attraction. So what we love, humanly speaking, began with some kind of attraction, Right? I, I talked to my wife then many years ago, almost 50 years ago now, and we went out and eventually got married because I was attracted. I'm not dumb, right? If somebody said, if you're gonna spend your life with somebody, spend somebody you don't mind looking at for 50 years or whatever. So, you know, there, there, it starts with an attraction. If you love your car, 
there's an attraction to that car. You know, it's a, whether it's a clunker, you know, and I've had, I, I really love the old Volkswagen Bugs. I, for some bizarre reason, there was a real attraction to me to a simple old car with no computer, you know, with one gauge, uh, putt, putt, putt. I mean, it was, there was a weird attraction there. Or if, it's, it's, or if it's a Ferrari, a Porsche, or a Lamborghini, or whatever, good luck. But you, you get the point, right? There's an attraction that begins. And then, humanly speaking, once we're attracted to something, there comes volition. In other words, we make a choice to pursue that and have a relationship. It's basically what marriage is. You see somebody, there's attraction, there's mutual attraction, and you pursue, and you make a choice, this is the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. And then you ask, and hopefully they tell you yes, and show up at the wedding, so that's all great, right? But that's the way it works. Now with God, I think it works the other way around. I think God chooses first. <laughs> chooses. See, there's nothing attractive in us. There, there, there is no reason for him to have a natural affection to us. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And, and, God, and God knows that he looks at us and he sees his glory. We all fall way short. Now, obviously, some are shorter than others. It doesn't make a difference because if you're not matching up to God's glory, you'll fall short. You are a sinner. Isaiah 59.2, our sins have made a separation between us and God, so we're damned forever. We cannot have a relationship with God. Jesus said in John 8, if you die in your sins, you cannot come to be with me. So we're, we're doomed. So there's nothing attractive in us. I know that goes against the grain of our world, but so be it. This is what God says. I mean, I'm thinking of Romans chapter 3. You, you want a description of mankind? And people don't like this, but you know, I didn't write it. It's also in the Psalms. It's also in Psalm 14, 53. Listen to what, what God says about mankind. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. They may think they're seeking for God or for something, but it's not for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. Are you going to have a love relationship, put your life and time and energy into something that is useless? God says we were useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction, destruction and misery are in their past, in the past of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So there's nothing attractive in us, but God made a choice. Scripture tells us that, for example, Ephesians chapter 1, 
And so when you think about love, and I was thinking, you know, no matter where you are in your relationships with whoever, you know, friends, spouse, parents, children, co-workers, whatever, wherever you are, we have all been let down in love. We have all had things that have not gone so well in love. But what I want to show you is that God is different. And if nobody loves you, God does. Especially if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How has he done that? Just as he chose us. Remember Paul is writing to the church. Ephesian church. Verse 1. Writing to saints. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's talking about you. He chose us, God chose us, in him Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now that's a long time ago. Probably 10,000 years or so. I think young earth, we believe in a young earth. But anyway, you know, that's a long time ago. Certainly before my time. And before he did that, he chose certain people to redeem from lost humanity and give to his son as a love gift. You can read about that in John 6, John 17, etc. And he did that before the foundation of the world. He, 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 it's a volition. There was nothing attractive, but he says, I'm going to choose to have a relationship. And out of that's going to come affection in a relationship in an attraction in a sense, because my purpose is to choose them to be holy and blameless before me. He says, I'm going to make a choice, and I want them, I want a relationship, and I want it to last forever. Before him. And, and so that, that's how God operates. Wow, you talk about a choice. Something that is not lovable, we, you know, we, we just worthless, nothing. God says, I want you. I want you. Starts with volition. And then he places his affection on us as his people. I think the nation of Israel is another example. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. We've been through Deuteronomy, so I will, I will fight the urge to do a lot of reviewing and not. Do I get an amen? Thank you, dear. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank well, thank you, Heidi. In Deuteronomy 7, God says about the Jewish people, this nation, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you. So there you go. God set his love on them. He set his, he decided, he chose them to have a relationship. He chose them. He demonstrated, we're going to have an affectionate, attractive relationship because it's going to be me and you, and I'm going to work on your behalf to make it that way. So he says, God did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Remember, God had made a promise to Abraham. 
And he said, I'm keeping that promise. I'm choosing you. And, and you think, are the Jews that great? Well, yes and no. They are a very unique, very special people, but no, they're not that great. In fact, if you go to chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, he says, when you get into the promised land, I want you to be careful about something. And, and it's like, it's like verse 4. I'm going to add a word that I think it fits. He says, don't you dare think or say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out, all these enemies that are in the land before you, don't you, don't, don't you dare think, oh, it's because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. He says, that's not it. It's because of their wickedness that he's driving you out. Because there is no really righteousness in you. In fact, he gets to the end of verse 6. He says, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. But I made a decision to choose you and for you to be my people and for us to have that relationship. And the, the neat thing about Roman, rather about Deuteronomy 7 is he didn't choose everybody. In fact, if you go to the first part of chapter 7, he says, when you go into this land, and there's going to be nations there before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. When the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, you shall defeat them, you shall utterly destroy them. Wow, that's God didn't choose them. And all of that can be hard to swallow, but God's God, God's perfect, and he says it's because of their unrighteousness that was God's judgment on them. The point is this. God chose a rebellious, wandering people, the Jews, to be his people because that's what he promised Abraham. He decided to do that, and he followed through. And so love stems out of this volition and out of this affection. And as we said, the same is true for us. I want you to look at John chapter 10. When you think of what God did for us, in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking about himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd. When you talk about a relationship, a good shepherd has a close relationship with his sheep. And we're going to see that. <clears throat> so God chose us. He's got this great affection for us. That is love. That's what love is. Jesus says, John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And how, how do you know he's the good shepherd? Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Later in John 15, Jesus is going to say, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Or is it John 14? It's, uh, it's in here somewhere. It's right here on this. Come on, Mr. Burbage. It's, it's uh, uh, pardon? 50, it is 50. Well, see, it's in, I'm using a different Bible, so it's in a different place. Greater John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than one lay down his life for his friend. So back to John 10. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now watch this. Verse 12. He who is a hireling 
and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. That is an example of not loving. Why he, he doesn't love the sheep. What does he love? The paycheck. He's in it just for the money. And when it gets tough, forget the sheep. I'm saving my own hide. I'm out of here. On the other hand, the good shepherd who loves his sheep will fight for his sheep. In fact, he lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. Why do I know them? Because the Father gave, chose, made a choice before the foundation of the world to redeem some people and give them to me. And Jesus says, I know who they are. They're my sheep. I know my sheep and my and my own know me. My sheep know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And by the word, that's the word gnosko, which means relationship. We have a relationship. I just don't know. Oh, there's a sheep. No, I. that's my sheep. Just like I can look out here and say, yeah, here's a wife, there's a wife, there's a wife, but there's my wife. All right? So you guys are there, but I don't have that relationship with you. He says, but I have that relationship with you, my sheep. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And, and by that means, eventually they will follow. And I give unto them eternal life and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So you see, what a glorious, glorious thing. Love involves affection and attraction for us. That's the way it starts. And then we make a choice. God says, I'm going to make a choice, and I'm going to set my love and affection on you. Awesome. Okay, well, that's basically introduction for point three, which is action. Okay? Action. We sit here all day and talk about, oh, that's great, God. You loved me before the foundation of the world. You set all these things in order. And, and okay, but if you never do anything, and so what? One of the great musicals that has ever been done, I think, is My Fair Lady. It's a great story. If you don't know about it, Google it or rent it. You know, that in, in there, Freddie has a thing for Eliza, and he's trying to woo her in a sense. So in the song, Show Me, he, he's, he's speaking, and, and he says, Valentine's Day, he says, okay, sweet, I'm going to impress you. Okay, here I am, under your balcony, I'm going to sing these great words. He says, speak in the world is full of, speak, uh, of singing. Oh, sweetheart, just speak, and the world is full of singing. And I'm winging higher than the birds as I hear you speak. Touch in my heart begins to crumble. The heavens tumble, darling. And I and she interrupts him. Eliza says, and basically she says, shut up. She didn't say that, but she says, words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all day through, first from him, Professor Higgins, trying to teach her how to talk, and now from you. Is that all you blighters can do? Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. Tell me no dreams filled with desires. If you're on fire, show me. 
Here we are together in the middle of the night. Don't talk of spring, just hold me tight. Anyone who's ever been in love will tell you that this is no time for a chat. <laughs> Haven't your lips long for my touch? Don't say how much. Show me. Show me. Don't talk of love lasting through time. Make me no undying vow. Show me now. Sing me no song. Read me no rhyme. Don't waste my time. Show me. Don't talk of June. Don't talk of fall. Don't talk at all. Show me. You get the point. Love must act. God acts. Here we go. So I'm going to go through these. First one we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2. Now, as you see what God does, what I want you to do is think about, he's my example. This is what love is. We don't have time to elaborate on these, so I'm just going to read them, and I think they make a point. All right? This is what love does. This is what God does. He made a choice for some people, and yet we were sinners, so he's, he's got he's to work it so that we can have a relationship. So in Philippians 2, it tells us about that. And I think this is a great description of how love works. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Wow. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And do not look out for your own person, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. There's my marital counseling. That's it. Because you realize if you do this, you're not going to have a problem. Oh, it may not be all that you want to be, but if you putting this other person first and her, because you think about what happens in relationships. Is, is people dig in their heels. This is how you're to act. And he goes on, verse 5, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Ah, so now we're getting to it, to where God who is love, Jesus is God, this is what he did. Who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, not only just leaving his high position for the one that he chose to love, leave everything, my king, you know, every, everything I had, I'm going to give up for you, because you need me. There, there, there's a thing in our, you know, it's called sin, you can't fix it, but I'm going to leave heaven's glory, I'm going to come down and be a man, I'm going to found an appearance of as a man, verse 8, he, I'm going to humble myself, become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, because that's what you need. I'm giving up everything for you. That's love. 1 John chapter 4. Moving to 1 John chapter 4, good Lord willing, we'll be there in a couple of weeks. Bible study, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another. Okay. For love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay, how did he demonstrate that? 
By this, the love of God was manifested in us, demonstrated, acted, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved him, God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, to be the propitiation of our sins. So we know that. Jesus, he left heaven, God sent him from heaven to die for his own people. He said, I'm going to give you these redeemed people, I'm going to give you these people as a love gift, but you've got to go die for them and redeem them because they can't, we can't do that because they're sinful. you got to go clean up your bride. And then I'm going to, and that's exactly what Jesus did. So you see that true love, as we express that, following his example, we think of other people more important than, than ourselves, and we're willing to do anything to meet that need. Remember Jesus said, John, rather Matthew 16, 24, if you want to come after me, what's the first thing you, you, you must deny yourself? Wow. Okay. Number three. So God, love, sees that, makes a choice. I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to sacrifice everything to do that. Number three, love pursues. Love pursues. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Oh, verse 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I remember reading that years ago, or I don't know when, realized, oh, you know what this means? Everybody who's supposed to be in heaven will be there. Because the ones that are going to be in heaven are those whom God gave, chose before the foundation of the world to give to his son as a love gift who he has redeemed. And that means somewhere in their life, they're going to come. They're going to hear his voice and go, you know, wow, and follow him. And when they do, he's not going to cast them out. But, but we don't get smart and all of a sudden decide to sign up. Verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up on the third day. And I'll raise him up on the last day. He says, God's got to pursue you. And he does. I'm just so thankful my salvation, my eternity, really does not depend upon me. As Jesus told his disciples in John 15, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And at the end of the day, that's exactly true. Yes, we had to come to a point. Like, he, like uh, Hebrews 3, 7 and 8 says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So there had to come a point where we heard the word of God, we read the word of God, and something within us, which is the Holy Spirit, said, you know, this is you, and this is what God has done, and I want you. And so we said, Okay, and we took that step of faith that he gave us, but we did have to take that step. But it's all because he was drawing us. Pursue. He pursued. We don't need to talk about pursuit and marriage and all that. Some neat stories, but we're running out of time, so I'll skip those. But I did pursue my wife. And eventually she said yes. Or I do. And she reminded me, you're going to love this. We were talking about this. 
I think we went to Mendocino on our anniversary or somewhere, and I like 49 years ago. And, uh, and we're talking about how I proposed. I remember when I did that, you know, and um, you know, we had had dinner or something, and we were in the, her apartment, and I did that, and she told me to leave. And uh, I realized, and she says, you know, I never said yes. <laughs> the amazing thing is, I guess it was, it was, it was understood, but, she, but at the wedding, she did say I do. <laughs> so thank God for that. But, but there was a pursuit, you know. I, I, had, I, had, I had to pick up the phone and call her. I, at, when I was at work on, on a break or whatever, and she called her at work, and, and then, you know, there's a pursuit, and that's exactly what God does. Now, as he has made that decision, and once he starts pursuing, he's got this relationship, God has a plan, and that plan is to make you better. Should not every love relationship have as its goal to make the person I'm in love with better? Hebrews chapter 12, the writer tells us in verse 6, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That includes just basic training and he scourges every son whom he receives. He says, I want to make you better, and I'm going to correct you. I'm not going to just allow you to do your own thing if it's going to hurt you. Then he says, you know, our earthly fathers did all that for our own good as it seemed best to them. But our Father, our Heavenly Father, verse 10, does that that we may share his holiness. Because again, it goes back to first to Ephesians 1.4. That's why he chose us to be holy and blameless before him. But you see, we were not. Romans 3, we are just a mess. So he has to do all this, and we have to cooperate, and little by little by little that happens. But you get any idea what love really is? Uh, if you're still kind of not sure, find 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13. And we're not going to read the whole chapter, but for one, Cliff's already done it. But uh, verse 4. And again, that's all you need for counseling. It's not that hard to understand. Harder to apply. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Now, you may need to sit down and think, okay, now I got this problem. How am I going to work this out? That's where you say, Lord, how am I going to work this out? You know, I got to admit, I'm not patient, and I'm not always kind, and I am jealous, and, and I, I tend to be arrogant. So, God, that's not right. Help me do this. And then you work through how you're going to apply that in your life. Verse 5, does not act unbecomingly. I, I, it doesn't embarrass. It doesn't put on the spot. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It's not crude. It's not rude. doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. We've already read that Philippians 2. Is not provoked. Does not have, does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's a big one. You know, the little bit of counsel, marriage counseling I've done, that always comes up. Well, he did this and she did that. And it goes back and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. For one, Ephesians 4 tells us that we are to 
Forgive one another. Ephesians 4.28, I believe. 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And, and you know, then the, the comeback is, you don't know what they did to you. I can't forgive that. In fact, I won't forgive that. And you say, well, really, keep reading the rest of the verse. We are to forgive each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. What has he had to forgive you of? And you're telling me you're not going to forgive. But again, you read that and say, oh, Lord, I need to forgive. I don't want to forgive. Help me. And you just work through that with me. So love does not take into account the things wrong suffer. Back to 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So it'll do everything to try to get that, that other person tracking in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And are you not thankful that the love of God never fails? That's why we did one thing remains. His love never runs out, never gives up on you. Matthew 28, 20, he said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says that we don't love money and be content with what you got because the Lord said, I will never leave you nor desert you. Philippians 1, 6 says, he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. John 13, 1, as Jesus with his disciples, at the Last Supper, as they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest and nobody was going to wash the feet, it says Jesus loved them to the end. He loved them with perfection. Even as a bunch of knuckleheads, he loved them. Jeremiah 31, 3. Jeremiah, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I like Song of Solomon 2.16 as the bride to her groom says, Ah, my beloved is mine. And my beloved is mine and I am his. You get the point. Never gives up. So, as we conclude, what do we do with all this? First of all, thank God for his love for you. Because this is a description from the Bible about what he does for you. What he does has done what he, what he has done, is doing, and will do for you. And, and I was thinking of, of a verse to give you about just thanking him, marveling in his, in his love. You know, if anybody should send a Valentine card anywhere, we should send it to heaven. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls me. 2 Corinthians 5.14 let it control you. Let it bless your heart. When you're down and depressed, and you know, it's like nobody loves me without my mother, and she could be jiving too. Well, I go through all of that. Da, 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 da. Say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at what God did for me. Look at what Jesus did for me. He left heaven to die on a rugged old cross, lived a painful life, really, for me. Let that control you. And then we're going to, this is the last one, I promise. I want you to take a look at Ephesians 5. So you're, 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 you're basking in that and say, boy, isn't this great? Look at how God loves me. And then we come to Valentine's Day and whoever is a stinker in our life. 
you read this. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. And walk in love. How? As he loved us. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. Well, Father, I think I think we got the message. I hope we do. It's love is awesome. You created it, you have made it, and you set the standard for what love truly is. And with your help, we can love that way. We can. Because when we come to Christ, Romans 5.5, 5, when we come to Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. We are adopted as, as his children, sons and daughters. And it says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And that's how and why we love, because God is in us. <coughs> as 1 John says, we don't love because... We don't love him first. We love because he first loved us. He made that choice. And he set his affection on us. And he acted on it. And he will never give up. And someday in heaven, we will experience that forever. So as we close, think about the relationships in your life, whatever they are. And I'm not, it's leave all the stuff out. So I don't care about your car and everything. Let's talk about people. Think about all the human relationships in your life and ask the question, am I truly loving my neighbor as myself? Am I following the example of Jesus? What areas do I need to work in? None of this is perfect. I mean, if we were to take a scorecard and you grade yourself, or better yet, have your spouse grade you, I mean, or your friend grade you, I mean, you would go, oh, okay, uh, can we make a commitment? Lord, Lord, I love you because of what you've done for me. Now help me love that way. Spend a few moments, think about that, and then we'll close in prayer.
we love you and help us love the way you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.